In today's episode of the Sixers Beat, Rich and I go over the Sixers signing of Montrez Harrell, what they're getting in their new backup center, how he'll help them in the regular season, the concerns over his viability in the playoffs, how he'll impact the Sixers rotation, and what their options are to trend the roster down to 15 by the start of the regular season. Be sure to follow Rich on Twitter at Rich underscore Hoffman. You can follow myself at Derek Bodner NBA. And if you enjoy the podcast, please give us a rating over at your podcast player of choice. We really do appreciate it. Enjoy the podcast. All right, welcome everybody. This is Derek Bodner, joined by Rich Hoffman on the Sixers Beat, a part of the Athletics Podcast Network. How you doing, Rich? Derek, I'm doing fine. And we have some uh, some transactional news to talk about after Labor Day. Yeah, it is. It, don't just wear white after Labor Day. Make some moves <laughs> after it, too, as we, well. We don't normally get transactions to talk about here three weeks before training camp, but we do, in fact, have something to talk about this time. Uh, the Sixers... Signed Montrez Herald to a two-year minimum salary contract. The second year of that contract is a player option. It would be in the, what, I think, like $2.6 million range annually. It's a vet min for his, his years of experience. It's a little bit surprising, only because you don't normally get transactions at this time of year. Uh, the only reason he's available this late in the offseason is because of some legal question marks. Basically, earlier in the spring, he was stopped and had, I think it was three pounds of marijuana on him. Initially, he was charged with trafficking, which carried a potential uh, pursued to the maximum extent and convicted could have carried, I think it was one to five years of jail time. So there was uncertainty over how that would play out. That was pled down to a misdemeanor, uh, which opened him back up to play NBA basketball. So that's why he was available. That's why there's a signing the slate. It makes sense that the Sixers would be the team to pursue him. Um, you know, they had two young guys are relying on at center. Uh, both Doc Rivers and James Harden have experience with him. Daryl Morey has experience with him, having drafted him in Houston. So I guess we'll just take a step back. What's your overall impressions of Harold, of the signing, and of how he fits? Yeah, I think when the news first hit, I was probably less enthused than I ultimately became. And I think I kind of forgot about Montrezl Harrell a little bit over the past couple of years. You happens know, he, when you play for Washington. Yeah. <laughs> well, so basically what happens is he wins six man of the year and he has the really poor bubble, which we can talk about because that's, I think that's pertinent to yeah. what we're going to talk about here. He signs <laughs> with the Lakers for the full mid-level. That team is a complete disaster in part because he just doesn't fit. He gets traded for Westbrook which worse fit. And then he plays for two teams last year who are uh, Washington and Charlotte. So you kind of go under the radar, but when you look at his numbers, when you watch his film, he's still a pretty good basketball player. I, uh, and I, and I think just playing for those teams, he kind of slipped through the cracks a little bit. Um, I, you know what? And I feel like if anything, we have a pretty good handle on the backup center position. Like that's the one thing, we've gotten right over the years, the defense against the dark arts position for the Philadelphia 76ers. The it might legitimately be the one thing we've gotten right over the years. 
Yeah, the revolving door. I mean, subscribe to the podcast, subscribe to the athletics, subscribe to the daily six. We're frequently wrong, but we get the backup center spot right. If it's if you care about accuracy with stuff, the backup center, we're we're okay at that. And I remember when they signed DeAndre Jordan last year, literally like the the moment that tweet came down from Woj, it was this is gonna be horrible. There's only downside to this, and it was worse than probably we even thought. This is not a DeAndre situation. He is a more valuable player. And look, there are a lot of times where I wonder what the hell some of these great players are thinking when they play pseudo GM. Like LeBron won a bunch of titles with three and D guys. He wins a bunch of, he wins another one with the Lakers with three and D guys. And then he says, yeah, Russell Westbrook, let's, let's bring him aboard. Like that's a good decision. I I mean, for like one of the smartest encore players I've ever seen, I just don't understand how he thought that would be a good idea. This is a situation where it's James Harden and he wants to play with Montrez Harrell. Uh, watching Montrez Harrell, knowing what his skill set is, that is a situation where I say, okay, that makes sense to me. Like, that's him pining hard for Montrez Harrell. Like, yeah, is Montrez Harrell going to swing the NBA title? No, but I understand why James Harden says, I want that to be my backup center and the guy I play with because when I run pick and roll, that guy's going to help me and he's going to be good. So, uh, you know, overall, I... I think Montrezl Harrell is a very good regular season center, and to get him at this part of the the off season, I don't have a huge problem with it. Now, you know, is there a worry about what's going to happen in the playoffs, as what happened in the bubble? Sure, and we can get to that later. But for now, I think it's uh it's very different than DeAndre signing. I, I think thumbs up, pr- pretty good signing at this point of the game. Yeah. Um. Look, we it took us two minutes to get to DeAndre Jordan and Dwight Howard and Andre Drummond. Which feels about right, because I feel like everyone is in either one or two camps. It's either, wow, Montrezl Harrell is a really good player, and I'm surprised they were able to add him and get him on the minimum contract. And then there's, oh my God, can he play in the playoffs? And they're both completely valid viewpoints. I think it is very important to differentiate. You know, DeAndre Jordan was like a, he was a, this is a guy who made his money in the league on defense. And age and the way the game has trended have made him a piss poor defender. So what is he doing on the court? Harrell's completely different because his value has always been very based, very much based on offensive productivity, is specifically that pick and dive skill set that he has. Uh, that is still there. That is legitimate. He adds value on that side of the court for sure. And when you're talking about building an offensive identity when Joel Embiid's off the, off, off the court, pairing him alongside of James Harden, you put Harden and Harrell along with three 3 and D players, and you have something there in that lineup. And they will have success. He will be a good signing. He will be good in that role. I have very little doubt about that. Like his, there's a very different talent level and offensive productivity that the three previous backup centers just did not have. And part of their problem of those backup centers was that they were basing their value on defense, which at that point in their careers was pretty much non-existent. Dwight every now and then would, would at least protect the rim. <laughs> Fell the shit out of somebody. Too. Yeah. Harold's different because he does add value in other facets. So he will help the Sixers pick and roll game. Now, the concern is he'll help the other teams pick and roll game, too. <laughs> and when you get into the playoffs, that, look, we spent legitimately the entire second half of the 2019-20, uh, no, 2020-2021 season saying, I think Dwight Howard is going to be this year's Montrez Harold. And now we have Montrez Harold to talk about. And does that concern me a little bit? Well, no, not really, because when you talk about what they're giving up, which is basically a roster spot, 
That's it. That's all they're giving up. A little bit of flexibility because they are hard capped at the apron, but they're really just giving up a roster spot. But Harrell is undoubtedly worth that roster spot. He's undoubtedly worth that flexibility. The, the key, and probably dictates a lot of how you feel about the signing, is do you trust the head coach to pivot when he has to pivot? Because I do think they're going to get into a playoff series where Harrell is going... Look, Harrell is a really, really bad defender. Like, really bad. He's slow enough where he has to play a drop. He, he just has to. But he's not like Embiid where he protects the rim. He's a poor rim protector. And he can't really jump out and contest a pull-up jumper because he's not quick enough and he's too short. When, he, when you get him in a pick and roll, he gives up legitimately everything. That's why he was such a liability a couple of years ago against the Nuggets. That's why he's been a liability pretty much every year he's been in the playoffs. There will be some matchups where he is probably a good option to go to. But there will be some matchups, quite a few as you start getting deeper in the playoffs, where his defense is going to be a real, real problem. And do you trust Doc Rivers to pivot when he has to pivot? And that's really the only concern with the signing for me. It's not really a concern about Harrell. It's not a concern about whether or not he's worth a contract or worth the flexibility or worth the roster spot. There's a little bit of concern of whether or not you can actually play Paul Reed enough where you would get to the end of the season and say, I feel confident in him in that spot. Like, are we going to be at a spot where you say, well, Paul Reed played 400 minutes this year. Can you trust him in the playoffs? There's concern about that. But having Harrell on the roster is undoubtedly a good thing. It's just, is he going to be used correctly when the games matter? And look, I, everyone listening to this podcast is going to have their own opinion on that. Yeah, I, I would say B-Ball Paul is the big loser of this uh, of this move. I mean, we'll, we'll see. We'll talk about the roster in a little bit. He tweeted, I'm feeling great. I don't see nobody but me. But unfortunately, I, I would be surprised if, uh, for, I, unfortunately for him, I would be surprised if Montres Harrell is not the Sixers' backup center. I just, I think Paul Reed would have to play really, really, really well for that to happen. I don't and think I, I, I don't think Montrez would have signed here if he, if he wasn't, wasn't given confident them. he was getting at least fifteen minutes a night. Yeah, I mean this is a guy who's played seventeen minutes or more every year he's been in the league except for his rookie year. He's yeah, not what am played. I, what, what am I saying? Doc is going to have him as the backup center. It's sure, fine. He, he's the organization gave him the backup center, and also there's a million things going on. And Harden that's fine. recruited and him, and he's he's better than Paul Reed, especially in the regular season at this point, especially yep. when you bring Joel off and you need that offensive productivity. The question is, is Paul Reed going to get enough minutes so you have another option to go to if you need to in the playoffs? And we'll see. I, I think I think Harrell's going to be, for the most part, your backup center night in, night out, um, which yep. is fine. You just need to find a way to get Paul Reed to the point where you can. And look, I had somebody on uh, Twitter yelling at me like, oh, you've been in love with Paul Reed. I think we've been pretty consistent here with Paul Reed. Last year, it was never, I love Paul Reed. I don't think you were saying I love Paul Reed. It was more like, holy shit, you can't play DeAndre in the playoffs and this is your only other option. So now you have another option. And I'm not like super sad about Paul Reed not getting minutes. I just want to make sure you have some other skill set, something that can be a little more switchable defensively, something that can be a little more hold up on the perimeter, something that you can play, uh, can hold up in a pick and roll. You need another option that you are comfortable going to if the, the situation calls for it. And that's my only concern is that A, Doc won't pivot to that when they need to, and B, Reed just won't get the experience to actually be that viable option. I feel like people can't differentiate when we're kind of comparing two players, calling for one player and another player. They can't differentiate 
we think this guy is the worst player in the league. The other option with the guy we're calling for is the best player in the league, right? Like that, that can come out the same way where you're, you're pining for one or the other. And look, am I intrigued by what Paul Reed can bring? Sure. Am I a hundred percent confident? No, it's just like you said, the other guy was the worst player in the league getting regular minutes. So for crying out loud, try something else and get something else prepared. Yes. Yeah. Montrez Harrell isn't the worst player in the league, not by a long shot, but I do think you need an option to pivot to if the, the need arises for it. No, he's a look. If you, if you look at just his regular season on court, off court net Strong rating every year, it's, yep. and it's pretty much the opposite of Deandre where he's generally, his teams are generally a little bit better when he plays, but not only that, that doesn't matter all the time. They're also playing at a good level just regardless. So that's, yeah. You know, obviously he played on those Clippers teams with Lou Williams where their bench was a little bit better than their starters for whatever reason. You know, they didn't have star players, I guess, when they had Tobias Harris as their best player like that. Uh, that can tend to happen maybe once in a while. <laughs> Tobias catching random strays and this podcast isn't even about it. It's not even about the team he's currently on. Yeah, that, that was a tough one. I'm sorry, Tobias. That was uh... <laughs> not wrong. Just tough. Yeah, I mean, well, Lou and Trez were just I mean, they were a great backup unit. Uh, for that team. So yeah, he, uh, if you look at it basically throughout his career, the, the regular season net rating is good. And that's like, it's not everything, but that's what you want from a, a backup center for the Sixers. Like you just don't want him to screw it up. And I think he has enough offensive talent. Regular now, season look- in 2019, 20, the year he won six man, uh, plus 6.5 net rating when he was on floor plus 6.1 when he was off the floor. So it was, uh, it was better, a better net rating when he was on the floor than off. Yep. Yeah. Well, Unfortunately, the playoffs happened. The playoffs, and he's not nearly as good. So the playoff the- net rating that same year, negative 11.6 when he was on the floor, uh, plus 15.6 when he was off. Yeah. It's, uh, now, it's look, when you get in the playoffs, you're talking 13 games that year. There's some randomness that happened. Paul George couldn't make a bucket, and they shared the floor a lot of times. Yada, oh, yada, yada. He also had like some personal stuff going on. I think his grandmother died too. Like he, he was in and out of the bubble. The bubble was an unnatural place for, uh, yep. for a competition to be going on too. Yep. No, there, there are reasons why it shouldn't be that severe. That being said, the inability to guard the pick and roll when you get in the playoffs is always a tough thing to navigate. And he really is very, very bad. Like he le- just takes nothing away is the best way that I can describe it. Um, they are going to be able to get whatever shot they want. There's no real scheme you can go to i was a little excited as much as harrell is a great fit alongside of james harden offensively i was a little <clears throat> excited about maybe having the possibility of switching a little bit when yep. when Embiid goes to the bench that's pretty much out the window you can't switch with harrell some people look at him and say oh look six seven you can switch with them no <laughs> the way i phrase it on twitter is he is not a small ball center he's just a center who is small he can't move his feet well enough to play a small ball center on defense uh, he can't shoot from the perimeter, be a small ball center on offense. He's just a short set. Now, look, he's got a, a long wingspan and a standing reach. He doesn't seem to use it defensively all that much because he doesn't mock, block shots or protect the rim. A lot of times when he's in a drop, we talk about being in a drop and then being able to you know bounce out and sort of contest that mid-range shot. A lot of times he doesn't even stick his hand up, so I don't care how long your wingspan is. Someone on Twitter told me, well, you don't block shots with your head. Well, Harold at times seems like he tries to because he doesn't really get his arms up. He's not a good defender in really any outside of maybe post defense. He can he can hold his own in the post, which is a dying breed of offense anyway, and not all that valuable. Outside of that, he's really not much of a defender at all. He's six seven Harden on defense. The yeah. uh, 
you said it though. Like he doesn't really get a lot out of his foot speed on defense. Here's the thing though. He's pretty quick on offense, man. Like yeah. the reason he's yep. a productive player, even if you look at last year too, where it was, I kind of had to refresh myself because he was playing in general purgatory with the, uh, with the Hornets and the, the wizards, wizards. Yeah. if you throw in the ball in the post and he faces up like he can blow by dudes yeah. <laughs> like literally, yeah. literally just blow right by him with super nimble feet he's got great footwork on that but he just doesn't really apply it on the defensive end and i i don't know i wonder is that effort like his rebounding numbers are better on the offensive end too it's uh it, it's very strange but uh, offensively he is like I mean, he obviously he's a super productive player. Like he, and he gets it in a lot of the same ways. It just it happens in order. Like the the perfect Montrez Harrell play is he sprints the floor really well. Again, for somebody who can't move his feet on the defensive end, he can move his feet up and down the court pretty well. He'll flow into a pick and roll, and then he'll post up, and then he'll get the offensive board if it doesn't happen. Um, I do think if other teams switch with Harden, he is one of the rare players. Like we we always talk about. Embiid is one of the few guys in the league who it's worth posting up. Like he's actually pretty efficient. Montres Harrell against the right matchup yep. is worth posting up. Like, he, he, he is tough to switch on. He can definitely like you don't want to just like run down and throw it to him like you do Embiid no. and let him go to work. But if he gets a mismatch on a switch, yes, he can definitely post up. Very efficient post up player over the years. A lot of that is being selective and going at the right time. But he has enough size, strength, skill, um, and moves, he's got, quickness. He's he's a good post up player in the right spots. You're right. He's got he can beat you with. Like, honestly, just, just straight line drives off the dribble, just blowing by the guy in the post. Good ball handler in tight spaces. He uh, he could burrow his way to the rim and kind of just get under you. He's got a hook shot. He's yep. got spin moves. Like, yep. he's he's been, if you look at his um his finishing numbers on cleaning the glass, he for somebody with that volume, he is a very consistent finisher around the rim for kind of a high-volume guy, which is impressive because he offers you literally nothing else. Like, you you know what you're getting from Montrezl Harrell, but he's shooting in the mid-70s on a lot of yep. shots through him. Uh, and they're averages... not all easy, too. Like, yeah, he'll get a good dunk off of a, a pick and roll, but he has a lot of, he has good touch on under-the-rim finishes, too. Self-created, too. Yeah. yeah. You know, and obviously you want Harden to be creating a lot of his offense, but I, I guess the point we're making here is, like, he's he's overqualified for a lot oh, yeah. of the, the looks that he gets. He's... He'll get to the foul line. He's improved as a free throw shooter. Six free throws per game yep. for uh, per 36 for his career. And he's like, I think he's like high 60s. So it's not a disaster. Like, it's not, but he, uh, I think he started in like the, the 50s. I think he's, yeah. he's even had a couple of years where he's been in the low 70s. Yeah, it's in, certainly a very ugly stroke where it's kind sure. of disjointed and whatever. But he gets it to go in enough where it's not a, uh, I don't think it's going to be like a Ben Simmons problem. So he's, um, you never know, though. Iguodala all of a sudden overnight had a Ben Simmons problem. Uh, oh, yeah. And he was shooting 70s pretty easily. It can, free throw shooting is weird. His, Iguodala's problem now, I guess Harold would qualify with this as well. I, Iguodala just shot the ball too high. Like, there's just... Yeah. I, you can't be consistent for a long time, in my opinion, shooting at that high. Whatever. Uh, we're, we're talking about Andre Iguodala's free throw shooting. But yeah, Harold is a super talented offensive player. He is, I mean, he's got to be the best offensive backup center they've had, right? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess Horford, but like, probably not. Like, probably not as good offensively. 82% his, from the line his third year in the league, and then was in the upper 50s at various stages. Just amazing. Mm. Just amazing. 
It's a mental game, Derek. It really is. And like that 82% was on like 500 plus attempts. Anyway, we're completely off track. As you all know by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using the BetMGM lines to make all our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use the bonus code TABASKETBALL, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,000 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code TABASKETBALL. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game. Claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 21 plus to wager. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Nevada, New York, and Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In Colorado, D.C., Illinois, Indiana, Louisiana, Maryland, Massachusetts, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming. Call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-522-4700 in Kansas and Nevada. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. In partnership with Kansas, Crossing Casino and Hotel. In Ontario, if you have questions or concerns about your gambling or someone else close to you, please contact Connects Ontario at one 866 2600 to speak to an advisor free of charge sports betting is void in georgia hawaii and utah and other states where prohibited promotional offers not available in nevada and new york don't forget if you haven't signed up for bet mgm yet use the bonus code ta basketball and you'll get a one year subscription to the athletic plus up to a one thousand dollar first bet offer on your first wager yeah but i think overall like the fact that harden wanted harrell it, it makes sense to me i think that He's going to make Harden's life a little bit easier, and, and Harden's going to make Harold's life a little bit easier. I mean, they they actually played together a long time ago in Houston. In uh, I think it was 2016-17 was the last year because he was in the uh, in the Chris Paul trade when Chris Paul wanted to go to Houston, and Daryl had to send a million people yep. to make the, uh, the salaries work. It was actually a pretty good trade for the Clippers, honestly. They got Lou. They got Montrez. Uh, yeah. I think for a, it's kind of surprising for it to happen after Labor Day, but it's a, it's a fine signing. Yeah. So that leaves the Sixers with 17 players under roster, under contract, under NBA contracts, 13 guaranteed, and then four that are either non-guaranteed or partially guaranteed. We, before the signing, had both assumed that Bassey and Reed were both safe because the Sixers didn't have anybody else to go to at backup center. Is that still the case? I don't think so. If if you have three traditional bigs, that feels like you're not going to cut any of them. Now that you have four, it's starting to get... Especially when three and two of them were completely unproven. Not completely, but very, very unproven. Yep. Uh, so w- once you get the four, you start asking. It's it's that three and a half line where you're just like, eh, is this, this overkill? Especially because... Not sure we're gonna what we're gonna get from a couple of these guys. So I, I guess my question initially when it comes to the roster is uh is Chuck Bassey not long for this team? Yeah. Look, it's uh I think it's a real question. I still think if it were me, I might just go Queen and Well, I, I would go Springer. Yeah, right. but they're not. Like I don't even they're really not, count yeah. him. You're you're right. I might cuz I have so little confidence in Springer. But by the way, the, and the one thing besides the second year player and and the fact that they drafted him, uh Springer you don't save any money yeah. by by yeah. cutting as and well. That's a, Where the that's other a the other guys do. 
because they are they are right now about what six hundred and fifty thousand under the hard cap, which is a number we're gonna have to remind you of all year because they they can't go over it under any circumstance. There's no exception to go over it. There's nothing. They have to remain under that. So they're under a million dollars under that cap, uh, right about six hundred and fifty thousand dollars. I don't have it in front of me, but it's somewhere in that ballpark. Uh, and a lot of these players who have non-guarantees or partial guarantees, you cut them, you get a little bit of flexibility back. Flexibility, which could, be, could become important as we get closer to the trade deadline. So yeah, think, that's another another thing that could save Springer. Sure. I think all four guys who are non or partially guaranteed make in between like 1.3 and 1.7 million. And even the partial guarantee, which it's is a like very, ba- very bassy, small it's, partial. It's like you know, $75,000 or something. Yeah. So yeah. you would basically be saving all of it by... Uh, by cutting him. So, you know, I think if you, you look at the salaries, then you just cut the two worst players of that group. But, uh, I mean, you know, we're getting into guys, you know, Charles Bassey, we, we had fairly high hopes for him yep. and now he's going to be gone, which, but, but here's my thing. Like, I don't think you can cut Paul Reed. No, especially you because in, in, in terms of stylistically, he's the one who gives you the, the, the more flexibility and how you want to play. Like, if you wanted to go to something switchable, he's the most switchable of the ones, yeah. And you put him in the playoffs, and he was fine. You, you can't cut that guy when he's making very little money. So, you know, I look at Bassey, I look at Queen, and then, you know, it was Isaiah Joe, maybe somebody who could get cut now, too. I don't know. But you, you obviously, look, if there is not a trade made of some sort or or some other type of move, two of those guys are going to be gone. So uh, let's see here. Bassey has $74,000 guaranteed. Isaiah Joe is completely non-guaranteed until sometime in uh, late October. I think it's uh, October it's the 23rd. First, first game, I think, right? Yeah, that that makes sense. Traveling Queen has a $300,000 guarantee, um, but there's also a $200,000 tax variance. So basically it's a little more like $100,000 equivalent, roughly. And I forget, Paul Reed is non-guaranteed as well. So there are your... You're four. If it were me, it would probably be... I mean, look, you don't really need four big men. I get it. I just... Right now, I have, honestly, a little more interest in Charles Bassey as a prospect than I do Jaden Springer. But I think Jaden Springer is going to be safe. So I would guess it probably comes down to Queen, Bassey, and Joe of those three. Which is weird. It's... Like, a lot of times, we will talk about prospects being cut, and it's like, you don't want to see it just because you're interested in them. But, like, a lot of these players, I think, can actually play not like high-level NBA players, but could hold their own if need be, especially in a regular season. They're pretty deep. They're pretty deep. Yeah, I mean, Isaiah Joe was very good in Summer League. And obviously, you know, my thoughts on Summer League, like, does it actually Well, matter? he's also a preseason superstar. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it would just feel weird kind of cutting him after that. Yeah, they're... Like it's not like the NFL where having a, a deep 53, 52 man roster, whatever it is, is like such an advantage because you're going to go through, you're automatically going to go through attrition and there's 22 guys that have to play at the same time. Whoever it's we're not, talking about isn't playing this year. <laughs> they're not playing this year, but you're right. They are, uh, they're probably deeper than they have ever been. You know, this is not the years of, you know, Trey Burke and, and Howell Neto, who were good players, but obviously guys who, you know, you pick up off the scrap heap and you know what you're going to get from them. These are guys you drafted that I still think have some theoretical upside, especially in Bassie's case. But I, like if it were me, I, I think Queen is the obvious one, but I, I guess Bassie would be the other one. I, I yeah. don't know. 
We will see. They will have we'll a a um. They will have a preseason to fight it out. I mean, Bassey was not great in summer league. I'm not sure that actually matters all that much, but. I mean, this was somebody who we were saying we would play in the playoffs last year, or even over Paul Reed. I think the two of us said that. Like, we were like, just play Bassey and play traditional coverage. And now he's, now he could be on the outs, which is, uh, I don't know. Life comes at you fast. Yes, it does. Um, so overall rotation, we still assume that the the, the five are going to five. Harden, Harris, Embiid, Maxi. There are your, no. And then Tucker. I for somehow skipped over Tucker. Uh, Harden, Harris, Embiid, Maxi, and Tucker, your starting five. Uh, who then do you think is going to get the most minutes off the bench? You don't off think the- you don't think they plan on playing Harrell at the four at all, do you? No, I hope not. I mean, look, I, I think Doc has never done that, so I think he's. Okay. I think we're cool. Yeah. Okay, I'm just making sure because I do. I do get- not want to see him playing next to Embiid. We don't want to see that. I think the next two guys off the bench are. Well, I mean, Harrell obviously just gets the backup center spot. That's kind of, you move that one to the side. The other guys who get minutes, I would say Melton and House would probably be the next two who get the most minutes. Those are your top eight. Yeah, that's your eight. And then? And see who plays their way in. Some other spots. like Maybe that's Shake. Maybe it's Shake. I mean, obviously you have Matisse and George who are fine in the rest. I think think George is probably going to be part of the rotation just because of their, yeah. I guess you could actually split up Harris and Tucker at some There's point. There's a lot get, of a lot of big immobile guys. Get most of the four. Yeah. <laughs> get most of the four minutes. Uh yeah, we'll see. They're, they're like, well, especially as we, now, as we now said, they are deep. Tucker is gonna play less at the the five, so he's gonna play a lot of the backup four. And I I guess he can be versatile enough defensively where you can maybe play like a Tucker Yang Harold lineup. That would be bad, but you're talking about bench units. Uh, but yeah, I think, I think you could, I think this is going to eat into George's minutes too. Yeah. It's just, it's like you said earlier too. I was very excited about that backup unit with a little switching, you know, Harden. I'm sure would have been excited. He didn't have to get around the screen anymore. You can't really do that with Harold. Unfortunately, maybe they try it and they're just like, eh, we'll, we'll let Montrez get beat one-on-one and we'll still outscore you on the other end. Well, and again, this goes back to like the original point. You still can do that because Paul Reed is still on the roster. You still can play and 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 PJ Tucker is still on the roster. You still can play switchable lineups. It's just how much is Doc going to experiment and how much is it just going to be Montrez, you're the backup five. That's going to be the way it's going to be night in, night out. And I guess we, we haven't talked about this part, which I think is a sign of how things have changed over the years with this. Montrez adding him with Paul Reed. When Joel's not playing, you still have a chance. Is is the general, yeah, point I'm making. Now, the reason it's less of a a problem is Joel. Like last year, he missed like three or four games that weren't COVID absences. So yeah, you know, knock on wood. But I, uh, yeah, I think you're going to be fine. Now, obviously, it's it's nice to say that at what the we at like the thirty minute mark yep. of the podcast. Right it's better than that than trying to say. Oh, Al Horford can play all the time with Joe when Joel's not hurt. That's part of the reason we're giving this guy $25 million a year as opposed to $2.5 million yes. a year yeah. with Montrezl Harrell. It's, uh, they made the course correction that they needed to. By the way, being a center in the NBA has to suck. I- yeah. I'm sorry. Like Montrezl Harrell is objectively a better basketball player than somebody who makes $2.5 million a year. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> 
I don't think if he had been had a more concrete situation coming into free agency, he probably would have gotten more than that too. I don't know how much more. Maybe that's a taxpayer mid level kind of contract. He deserves the taxpayer mid level. Yeah. I mean, he's good enough for that. Yep, I agree. I agree. There are thirty teams in the NBA. Like you're telling me that not one team can't cough up, you know, and that's six million dollars a year. That's for part him. of Come of on. why I can't give. Like I think there are some people coming down on the side of well, you can't sign him because Doc will use him incorrectly. Which, if that's your philosophy, first of all, A, I understand your concern after the Andre situation last year, but B, if that's your concern, then your problem isn't with the signing and you have bigger, larger problems anyway. But also, it's just, this was such a unique situation where because he was available so late in free agency, you're able to get him on such a discount. He is a much better player than a minimum salary contract. You can't not sign him because you are worried your coach might use him incorrectly. You just, that's not a good way to go. This isn't DeAndre where you shouldn't have signed him a because your coach can rely on him too much and b because he can't fucking play that's not what this is it's very very key difference yeah so overall i think uh thumbs up for that signing it'll make the sixers a different team it'll probably make them a slightly better team like as far as you know you've you've been sounding the alarm for the you know 55 win sixers or whatever i don't think this uh takes them off the tracks at all all. for that yeah so they're, I mean, look, they're going to have, they should have th- three very good five man units. Like they legitimately go 10, 11, 12 deep of NBA players who you can reasonably count on. I mean, we were just talking about, you know, George and Matisse and then being like ninth, 10th in the rotation. This is a deep team and a it's, deep team with a bunch of different type of play styles. They're a flexible team. They just have to be used correctly. You know, what's weird of those three units. I, I would say the one that I'm, at least the most curious about. I'm not saying I'm down on them, although they did really poorly when Harden came over was the Maxi and Bede backup yeah. unit, which and they should do good, poorly. I feel like they you give them enough time a full season. They, they should figure it out. That's a pretty good situation to be in when I'm like the least or I'm the most concerned about that group. Yeah. You know, yeah. like that's, well, that's also, not a very concerning group before then <laughs> Maxi and Embiid pretty much carried the team. So it's really just figuring out the piece to put yeah. around them. They should be able to figure that out. Yep, but I but I think the reason I'm concerned about them is not really those two guys, although, you know, some some of that does fall on them, obviously. It's just that that's where you have to slide in the guys, the 9-10 guys, you know? Like, yeah. that's where, is it Matisse, is it George, is it Shake, is it those guys um, who I think are perfectly qualified to play for them, but just finding that uh, that right crew. Is it is it the Corkster who's been fighting guys over in, uh, in Turkey? Yeah. Or not Turkey, uh, Georgia. Yeah. It's probably Cork not him. I, I just wanted to Cork mention. Can get inten- he can get intense. He's always sort of had that in him. That was I, I didn't. I didn't know he had that in him. No, <laughs> I mean we haven't seen that intense for sure. Causing three guys to jump him in the, the <laughs> locker room afterwards. I. And it, it was tough. Were you like me, or were you trying to start trying to like lip read it? But you're like they're speaking languages I wouldn't understand anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, I did. I would kill to see the uh, the footage afterwards. I I don't want to make too much light of it. It seemed like a kind of serious thing, but. Ferk is okay, it seems like. Or at least so. on the edge of serious, yeah. So it could have turned serious real quick. The idea of him getting in a fight, though, is, I don't know. I think it's very funny that, that he he had the whole Georgian basketball team just going after him, and it was... Uh... <laughs> Good for him. Good for yeah. him. I, lo- I love watching Ferk play. Uh, I just don't trust Ferk playing. I think he's one of the funniest guys on the team. Too, he's funny. Honestly. He's entertaining. He has flair. He has competitiveness. 
He just can't uh, defend, and the shots don't go in. And you yeah, know, I don't. I don't care happens. about that stuff. Is he funny? No, that's, <laughs> that's all that I care. The about. shoes are entertaining. Everything about him's entertaining. All right, all right. Uh, I'm not sure. I have too much else. Any other stray thoughts on how Montrez impacts the team? No, I mean, I, I guess. What, what do you think the backup unit would be with him and Harden now? Well, I think there you you probably go with as many three and D guys as you can. Um, so like. Melton. Melton, yeah, House, House, something like that. Tucker. Probably go Tucker. And then with Embiid Max, you put as much shooting as you can. Maybe that's where you, you dump George. Maybe that's where you dump um, Ferk. What do you think about Thibel? I don't you, know. You didn't, mention, you didn't mention anything no, he's I good mean, at there. <laughs> well, <laughs> because on both lineups, you want shooting. And I don't, I don't know if you noticed, that's not really his strength. No. Uh, yeah, he'll probably end up on both units and you just live with the non-shooter but it i mean you have now added i would probably try to avoid putting him well you want you don't want him on Embiid's. you don't want him getting in beads lap either um but you also don't want two non-shooters and harold and matisse he's a tough fit he's a tough fit offensively he's a tough, he's a he's tough, a tough fit. we're talking offense right now too so that's uh yeah it's hard to get away from okay he'll probably end up on both both units with both uh, both pairings, I think a lot of these players will switch between them until they find the right pairing. But you, I think you are going to end up with an Embiid, uh, Maxi bench unit, and then also a Harden Harold bench unit. Or at least that's well, the way I do it. I've I, no idea. I guess we shouldn't have said. I guess we should have said this. It'll be you, you could do Harold Harris, Melton. Yeah. Else, Harden. Yeah. 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 For sure. For sure. That's that's the obvious person to have. And you know what? Maybe Tobias can be on the the backup units that score better than the uh, than the initial yeah. ones. So. Yep. Say yep. in L.A. anymore, buddy. It is, it is wild though. He's we're, every year we're on the lookout for this year's Montrez, and now we get Montrez. Yeah, that's great. Good player though. I will. I think a lot of us here will greatly enjoy watching him in the, in the regular oh, season. Yeah. I think he will do very well in the regular season. I think you got to be careful with him in the playoffs, but we'll talk about that when we get to it. We we didn't mention that part too. Like he'll be somewhat of a fan favorite. Oh, hundred percent, hundred percent. It just it just did all the playing hard, all the the dirty, grimy, in the mud type stuff he does. It just happens on offense. That's that's yeah. where a hundred percent of it happens. <laughs> yeah. You wish he would do a little bit more of it on defense, but okay, that's what he is at this point of his career. He's he's twenty eight years old. He's not changing. I would say. But yeah, but by the way, uh, fans in general too, they pay more attention to offense. Oh, hundred like percent. I mean, this town that's got the Robert on, Covington and Danny Green thing. Is, even is he Iguodala, playing great defense? Even I don't. Yep. I don't give a shit if he's playing good defense. I I see that he's airballing these three pointers. So and boo. then he can't dribble. Yep. Boo. So yeah. Yep. Okay. I agree. Philly is a a lunch pail type city as long as it also leads to offensive productivity. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. I think that's probably about all that I have here. Thank you, Rich, for jumping on, and we will talk to you soon. See you, man.